This episode was originally recorded in fall 2020. You are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. This is Tony, and welcome to another episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. As with every episode, we start this one saying that the intent audience is everybody. And today we'll be uh, going international, and we'll be speaking with our special guest, uh, Marie Rocky, on what her role is in terms of pharmacy informatics, uh, education, and technology. So uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here. And thanks for your patient scheduling at a couple of times. <laughs> Rescheduling. Uh, yeah, 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 of course. I, I know everyone's busy. And uh, I, I know I always have to reschedule a lot of things uh, for myself, too, because like so many things going on right now with uh, with the uh, entire yeah. you know pandemic and stuff. So, yeah, it's nice that this border is open. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, like before we get started talking about um, you know, your involvement in informatics education in Canada, uh, can you kind of just give a little brief history about yourself? Like, I guess, like, uh, you know, where you grew up, where you went to pharmacy school. Sure. Oh well, I grew up in um, a city just outside of Toronto called Hamilton, which is kind of a steel town. Um, and in high school, I started to work at a drugstore and sort of sort of learned there with some very good role models. Um, but it was always going to be pharmacy school for me in high school. Although I was also sort of inclined to go into, to pursue an arts degree. And that sort of um, became relevant later. So I was accepted into the pharmacy program, which is a B, was a BSc program at the time at the University of Toronto. Uh, completed my degree and then uh, worked in community for my first 10 years in a large chain in, in Canada called Shoppers Drug Mart um, and also for a smaller chain. And then about 10 years after I graduated, I felt that I wanted to go back to that latent English side of me. Um, so I just decided to work part-time in pharmacy and I started to do writing for um, a couple of the pharmacy journals. So um, I did that for a couple of years, uh, practiced part-time, and then I also started to work part-time in a hospital setting, uh, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto here, and I worked in the opioid clinic, and I also became a drug information pharmacist there. So that was sort of my first leap into, well, it wasn't called informatics at that time, but into sort of formal drug uh, drug information. Um, so that was sort of my first 15 years. And then um, I became an instructor at a community college for a pharmacy technician program. I became the coordinator, actually, for a program and realized that I was also very interested in, in education. And I was um, very fortunate to be at a community college that was very progressive and very multicultural um, here in Toronto and really sort of got exposed to a lot of excellent, excellent teaching methodologies and and instructors there. A couple of years after a couple of years of doing that, I was hired at the Faculty of Pharmacy to begin a program for international pharmacy graduates. So pharmacists from other countries who had received their degrees elsewhere and worked elsewhere and were becoming licensed in Canada in the process of becoming licensed in Canada. So I created what's called what's now called the International Pharmacy Graduate Program which is a bridging program as is in the education landscape, a bridging program um, to help an internationally educated pharmacist become licensed here. So that was, that was sort of my arc from um, community to hospitals, drug information, 
um, to higher education and to program design. So, you know, thanks for sharing that. And I, I guess like you, you did mention that you started with uh, drug information. I was curious, do you get a lot of people yeah. asking you about uh, drug information and then informatics and then asking you what the difference is? Okay, so that okay, so that that relevant. So what happened was after sort of my first fifteen years, and I started at university. You know, over time, the faculty started to look at um, positioning to an entry level PharmD, and as part of that, um, I was asked to develop the informatics course um, in the new program. And because of my background in and, and education at that time, and I clearly remember wondering what the difference was myself. And I like to joke and say that, you know, it took me a long time to understand that, to understand, you know, some precision in the definition and the involvement of, you know, health science and information and, and knowledge and technology and systems. Um, so, you know, we're not talking about definitions right now, but um, it began to make a sense to me. Um, and so to answer your question, people do ask it, but I find, and, and I'm not sure if this is true for you as well, I find that a lot of people, whether they're in clinical practice or, or in education, still think of drug information when they think of informatics. Um, and they don't sort of blink, you know, all of the different areas like, um, you know, consumer health informatics or clinical decision support or really knowledge management principles. So I don't, I think that informatics is um, so broad and so interdisciplinary that you know, people find their way into it and may not be able to define it precisely, but we certainly live it and we practice it. Yeah, yeah. I, I do have a lot of students I would ask that. They they would always um sometimes like ask me like, Oh, is is your job like, you know, drug information, like you look up stuff and uh you yeah. you, you know, you do research and I'm like, Well, I mean it's it's not exactly that. It's more focused on the technology piece. There are there is some of that, you yeah. know, when you're looking for clinical guidelines and things like that, but it's not like traditionally what people would think of when they think of drug information, like references and things like that, right? So I think, you know, we were chatting about this a bit before is that when students do their rotations and they work in informatics, then they begin to, to understand what the intersection with technology and systems is and, and, and what the other um, related disciplines are, right? So computer science and program managers and um, just that intersectionality, I think, is really interesting. Um, but it, it's hard to grasp in first-year pharmacy, and that's when our informatics course is taught. Um, so I always try to teach it as a bit of a, with a bit of an edutainment approach. So, you know, showing them some interesting, some interesting technology and then doing some, you know, critical appraisal around that so, to lead them in that way. So, you know, like uh, when you, you just mentioned that you were teaching them in, in class, I guess like what's your important like key things that you want students to take away from um, informatics education, like just uh, learning about technology and pharmacy? So, you know, and this is something I've sort of, I actually wrote down um, at the when I began to teach this and when I began to develop the e-resource, I began to think about, you know, what, you know, what are they, what's my insidious message, right? What, what do I really want them to do? Well, one, I want them to read carefully because I think that there's a real seduction with technology, whether it's AI, whether it's clinical decision support, right? I teach Friedman's theorem, which is about, you know, a person aided by technology is greater than the sum of the person alone. So, but I also explain that it doesn't replace, you know, um, care or um, things that technology can't interest. So, um, and I also try to impart the idea that, you know, data input, there has to be integrity in that. And that's really a 
kind of a key informatics principle, isn't it, about data inputs. And so this idea of reading carefully and, and being inquisitive, being curious, being alert. So when I say read, I mean, you know, to look at a monograph in its entirety. I'm not saying to read it all, but to know how that information is all assembled um, instead of, you know, doing control F and looking for a little bite of information. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's kind of like key point number one. And the other is, of course, yeah, yes, critical thinking around technology. And it's not, you know, I don't want them to be dismissive, but I want them to understand um, the limitations, right? And to always be asking questions about, you know, how to evaluate technology. And I understand, you know, that's a bit more sophisticated and advanced, but I like to plant that seed early. So, yeah, so, so you know, like getting this kind of information out and this education out to many different organizations, many different schools and students is uh, somewhat of a challenge. And I, I understand that you also played a, a very important role in the e-resource for this. Yeah. So we have an organization in Canada called um, Canada Health InfoWay, so the contraction of the information highway. And it's an organization um, that is, I guess, similar to your HIMSS group um, or organization in the United States. And Again, different political structure, but this is a national organization that was funded to foster the adoption of electronic health records across Canada in each of the provinces. So Canada Health InfoWay, you know, in its first 10 years, um, invested heavily in provinces and EHRs and EMRs and um, adoption, you know, um, repositories, you know, whether they're provincial drug data repositories or, or lab data, diagnostics imaging. So... Uh, after that, they, uh, sorry, and as part of that, um, they had some funding for uh, clinicians and training programs. So they recognized that future clinicians would be adopting technology. And so they had funding for pharmacy, medicine, and nursing, so separately, um, to develop educational materials and resources for students across Canada. So again, a, a very much a national focus. And in pharmacy, this was being stewarded by the Association of Faculty of Pharmacy of Canada. I believe your equivalent there is AACP. And our executive, the executive director at the time, and this was in 2012, um, had a vision for an e-resource. Um, well, that's what we eventually called it, but, you know, um, an e-learning platform for pharmacy informatics to be adopted by all of the pharmacy schools across Canada. Now, we only have 10, <laughs> um, but, you know, two are, um, two are in uh, French-speaking uh, French speaking province. He had a vision for an e-learning platform and put out a call for an instructional designer who had a background in informatics. And that, you know, was very well positioned at that time because I'd been um, teaching informatics and had, as I mentioned earlier, really wrestled with what that was. And I, but I had practiced it as well. Um, and then I had also done a, a master's of education, um, after about uh, 15 years in practice, actually, and focused on instructional design. So this really felt like a position that, um, you know, my path, had, my path had taken me toward. So that began in 2012. And so we built, or I wrote and designed and built a platform um, a very, with a very small group of uh, like two or three other authors across the country um, that 
uh, was meant to be adopted nationally. So, so we built it and long story short, but we uh, received additional funding to foster its implementation at each of the universities because, you know, we built it, but nobody was really adopting it. Um, so we received uh, funding to have a peer leader at each of the schools to work within sort of their local conditions to foster adoption within various courses, you know, whether it was skills or um, informatics courses. And then over the years, we got additional funding to improve the e-resource. I came down and presented a couple of times at AACP. We used an open source learning management system called Moodle. So it's sort of universal and sort of bypassed all of the issues with school-specific learning management systems. Not that it was the ideal solution, but it was a solution. And we're now in our fifth round of funding, and we're developing, right now I'm working on uh, a national training program for not just students, but clinicians on e-prescribing, because that's being rolled out nationally. Oh, wow. So you you moved on from the student (laughs) education now to like prescriber education. Yes, prescriber and pharmacy. So it's a much bigger audience, absolutely. And what, what was interesting, though, was when we developed the student modules, I, I used um, various types of software that are very interactive. We use virtual cases. Uh, we, right now, we're working on a, um, a platform called Articulate Rise, which is really appealingly. And, you know, I mentioned earlier about my sort of mantra about reading. So I'll do anything to have students read, whether it's lots of white space or point forms or, you know, interesting videos with synopses. So we've got a lot of that really well received by the students and what's interesting is that when a lot of like some of our um, peer reviewers or clinicians review it they have indicated that they really enjoy learning that way as well so you know I I do aspire to more sort of um, well to instructional design principles but to less than a garden variety approach for e-learning so I think that that um, it's working well um and it's it's complicated, of course, using different platforms. And but we've got a great project team on this, and um, yeah, we're continuing to be funded. So you know, one of the questions I have about you know having this kind of learning platform, and you know, like informatics and technology, technology itself it updates and changes really really quickly. So how do you kind of like yeah. face that challenge of like updating yeah. the material to keep up with it? Uh, that's a, well. So for example, um, I have a chapter in the e-resource that I wrote on telehealth. Um, which had sort of been on my mind about updating. I like to, you know, go through everything every year and update things. But of course, with COVID, I, I, I'm assuming it's the same in the United States, but we now have, you know, a telehealth delivery model that's being funded by our government, which was unexpected. So that needs to be updated. So how do I, how do I manage this? I mean, I'm sort of, you know, very fortunate in the sense that I can, you know, I do have time to read, keep abreast of changes, but it literally is a matter of continually doing an environmental scan. And I would say just this morning, I was thinking to myself, you know, there's a lot happening right now with apps that I'm interested in, for instance, the COVID app. But I'm really kind of a generalist in a lot of those areas. And all I can do is sort of write an overview. I do write sort of overview pieces for the students about this to to give them a survey course approach, right? Like we touch on things. I'm not a specialist by any means in store, or I would say point of care testing, another (laughs) really relevant topic, but I can sort of touch it on the surface using informatics principles. Um, And there are some areas in which I'm 
you know, I feel very comfortable and one is in prescribing. And I do want to, you know, do a big shout out to the United States because as we're implementing this here in Canada, I'm drawing on a lot of the U.S. literature, of, you know, about your own experiences and some of the challenges in community pharmacy that happened with the integration of technology. So that, you know, it's very evidence-informed education. But also, you know, I try to make it interesting. It's relevant for people too, so that makes it easier. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you just mentioned about like uh, differences in practice. And I, I also wanted to ask you about, you know, the the bachelor's in farm. And then I know that Canada is also offering now in certain areas the uh, the doctor of pharmacy. And how did that kind of like... Yeah, I, I don't know. Does that affect any of the the roles pharmacists do for like informatics? Or is it more fa- focused on, you know, the, the clinical side? That's a great question. So, yes, we, we are, um, I like to say we're about 10 years behind the United States um, in terms of the entry-level D degree. And, and as I understand it from some colleagues who, who drove that and were really instrumental in the change, you know, it had to, one of the key drivers was around, you know, our graduates having parity or being recognized in the United States because um, a subset of graduates do go and practice there, but also because our scope of practice was changing in Canada. Um, to varying extents, depending on the province, but, you know, the, the feeling was that a more advanced degree would be would be important. And so, yes, most provinces now have moved to an entry-level R&D degree. In terms of roles, it, it, you know, I think our graduates are doing, you know, some interesting things. I mean, most of them still be working community or hospital, but certainly a lot of our graduates U of T are moving into industry and doing some innovation, but each school, of course, has their imprimatur or their kind of brand, and UT grads are known to be, I think, really sort of clinically strong, um, and I think in general, PharmD graduates would be, but I was listening to um, a webinar this morning, and the, the case was made that, you know, given the changing environment, that there really is a need for more emphasis in our curriculum on pharmacy management skills. And I had actually taught an elective this past winter in community pharmacy management because a colleague was on leave. And, you know, the students really noted that, that, you know, they were looking for more kind of practical, real-life business skills uh, to further their career because, you know, about half of them were, were very interested in leadership roles. So I think that that's an interesting thing to note is that they're, if they're moving into leadership roles or management roles, um, the degree itself is not providing a great deal of preparation for that, and we could probably do more. And I, I think there's interest in that from our grads. I see, I see. And you know, like for your education too, um, your personal education, you had a focus in, I think you said distance learning. And how has that kind of played into everything that's going on right now? Well, yeah. I mean, it, when I was doing master's, I remember, you know, reading a lot of the literature, including you know, in the United States, because a lot of your schools were doing um, distance R&Ds at that time. And, but looking more broadly at principles of good instructional design and distance education systems is really what I learned about. And, and also, I took a good close look at, I was really interested in how higher education institutions embraced or did not embrace distance education. And one of the things I learned was that the distance education model really came from the state of Wisconsin, which was, of course, you know, big and um, not very populated. So a lot of the leaders in distance ed came from Wisconsin. But 
you know, I work at the University of Toronto, which is a very urban university um, on very cherished real estate in downtown Toronto. And it was a bit ironic because this is a university that was not embracing distance education. We have three campuses in Toronto and, and certainly there was interest in educational technology, but we were not leaders at all. And so um, I sort of found opportunities in e-learning sort of through, through this work with the e-resource or some other projects I've worked on, but it certainly wasn't part of my day-to-day role as an associate professor um, other than using the institutional learning management system. So with COVID, of course, the pivot was swift um, to e-learning, and I was teaching the winter course, as I mentioned, and so I was quite comfortable with it. And, you know, it wasn't so much about the technology, but it was about how to create an inclusive learning space online. And there's an expression in distance education called transactional distance, which refers to the physical and psychological remove that uh, learners experience when they're not in the classroom. And so I was really keeping an eye on that with my class. And I asked them about it, actually, if they missed class. And they do. And I mean, they, they miss it for different reasons, um, primarily the social learning, and I don't mean that in terms of social life, but just that they learn together and they form ideas together. Um, so I think that that's a really going to be a really interesting thing to study with COVID is kind of sense of identity, sense of community. How can you reach that or, you know, minimize it? And, I, and I'm seeing a lot happening everywhere, not just at U of T, but in education um, to do that. But you know, for me, this mass, watching this massive upskilling and upscaling is is interesting. Um, I wouldn't say I'm playing a leadership role in any way at the university, but um, but in my other instructional design projects, definitely. And um, for example, with the e-resource, there's a lot more interest in it this fall because people are looking for online resources. Awesome, awesome. So. I guess like for students who are looking to learn more about the the e-resource um, and learn more about informatics, like how can they, you know, find that information? And also like for students who, students or pharmacists who are actually looking more into like be being in academia as it pertains to informatics, like what kind of advice would yeah. you give them? So that's a great question. And I think maybe it's less defined in Canada than it might be in the United States. So First of all, with respect to the e-resource, it is completely open access. It's free. Um, This was a condition of the funding. And I know that your colleagues in the United States have noticed that. The URL is eLearnHCP. So it's all one word, E-L-E-A-R-N dot H-C-P for healthcare professional um, dot uh, dot C-A, eLearnHCP dot C-A. And all users have to do is create an account and they will have access to all of the materials. So certainly, um, I think that's a great starting point for students or even clinicians to get grounded. There are 13 chapters in the e-resource that will get you started. In fact, I had a graduate, I think it was in 2012, and he told me that he he did the e-resource and that helped him. I should say he completed all of the chapters in the resource. We had not assigned them all. And then he applied to do his master's in health informatics. So that's what I wanted to mention next is that there are a number of master's in health informatics programs in Canada, about half a dozen. They're all very good and they're all very different. And I think that um, it's not necessary to have a career in informatics, but it certainly moves your career uh, forward more quickly. And I've seen 
some graduates go on to executive positions pretty quickly. But certainly our PharmD graduates, they, you know, they can do a rotation in informatics or uh, certainly, and they can work, whether it's an industry or hospital or community in informatics and get some more practical experience. And I think it's a matter of maybe finding an area to focus on because, as you know, it's a vast area, <laughs> um, depending on your setting. And there's lots of space. There's just a lot of space in different areas. Um, for example, I was listening to a call this morning and there's a, a, um, a pharmacist in Quebec who's doing, who's busy doing um, critical appraisal of apps and curating them and in an, in an evidence-informed way. Um, so as I say, there's lots of areas and lots of space. So, you know, I think the PharmD, uh, at least in Canada, will expose you to it and you can do rotations in it, but there's always the idea of an advanced degree for leaders. I taught the, the inaugural course at U of T, and then I moved on to do some other things. And uh, the person who replaced me worked in informatics at the hospital. So she did not have an advanced degree, but she certainly knew it, and she certainly understood it. And I could sort of see um, from the students who I saw in later years um, and through some of the materials that she had a different take on things, and she emphasized different things, but it's all informatics, right? So, so. I, again, I think it depends on the institution. I know that at some schools, uh, people, I know someone who has a PhD in computer science who's teaching it. I know someone who has a master's in informatics. But, um, but more, more often than not, they do not. They either have experience or, um, or the PharmD. I think to teach it, you do have to have any topic. You have to have a really deep understanding. That's education, right? So you need to have deep contextual understanding. And some people get that with experience, quite a bit of experience. But I would say that that would come after 15 or 20 years of experience. And so if you want to be teaching early in your career, I would definitely say an advanced degree is desirable. It will also, you know, with any advanced degree, it exposes you to another discipline and you think differently. Because in pharmacy, we're trained to think like pharmacists. Um, but I know when I did my MAD, I, I learned how to think like a social scientist, right? And it's different research methodologies and um, different lenses to look at things. And I, and I know that for graduates of a master's in health informatics program, again, depending on the program, they will be equipped with a different set of problem solving, a different way of viewing challenges and system issues, and they can tackle the bigger issues. So again, I think that if you're going to be teaching you know, at a systems level and with with a good good broad understanding of informatics, but an advanced degree is, is desirable. Awesome, awesome. So, you know, like if people wanted to reach out to you, if they had any further questions maybe about your career or if they wanted to learn more about all the projects that you've been doing, uh, what's the best way that, you know, they could reach you at? Well, I'm a big emailer and I love uh, correspondence. So my email is fine. It's Marie, M-A-R-I-E dot Rocky, R-O-C-C-H-I at utoronto.ca. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for providing that. I will be putting that into the show notes for anyone who's interested in reaching out. But to be respectful of your time, I'd like to thank you again for taking some time out of your busy day to be on the podcast today. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for the invitation. <laughs> All right. If you like our show, please share with your friends. 
or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITME.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Select group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there. And I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And remember, technology is a tool. Patient care is the goal. Oh, 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 oh,